0: Uh, it's really, it's really exciting to be able to be here and do this. Not not just uh, exciting to preach, but because it's kind of it kind of feels like the journey really begins today. Um, it, it began a year ago when I first told you no way, um, Ben. Like leave me alone, Ben, please. And uh, and, and now kind of looking back on all that preparation and then us joining last week, it just really feels. Something's, something's going on. I'm, I'm I'm sure we'll figure it out at some point. But um, I'm excited to do that and thankful for the opportunity to preach. So let me, like, violate some speaker rules and give you two disclaimers as we get started. Um, number one, uh, you heard Brad say my family joined last week. Uh, if you're, like, visiting and thinking about joining, that's not the normal process um, for you to join and preach the next week. You don't have to do that. Uh, so don't just... Continue on in your pursuit and be a part of this body. It's a it's a good thing, and if you think that you kind of would like that part of the process, and then Brad will talk to you about that later. So, um, because that's probably not good either. But that's one disclaimer. Number two is actually a little bit more serious. Um, This is not an audition today, and I need to make that disclaimer first for myself because it can feel like that a little bit. because I know some of you are considering joining this new work, and you want to know what that's going to be about, and so there's a big temptation all week for me to, like, figure out how to impress you, and so I'm giving you that disclaimer, this is not an audition for a preacher today, because I need that really bad. I, I, I need to be hidden today as much as possible, because if I, if I do some things to try to impress you today, then <laughs> the problem is, you're going to be really disappointed later, right? Um, uh, I, and I, man, I can tell you that just being as honest as I can possibly be, it's it's not. Uh, so for f- first, it's a, not an audition for me, but second, I, I hope that you'll embrace that truth as well. I think that that's a good disclaimer for all of us, that it's not an audition for any of us. And so my prayer is that none of us would see it that way, that you wouldn't look at it with that kind of perspective or that critical. Uh, it's so easy for us in our culture to be so critical and look at it in any shape or form, but but really just begin to examine what God might be doing here and what he might be leading us to be a part of. And, and so, like, for this week and next week, I'm, I'm basically going to just try to unpack some passages where we, we cast vision for what God is doing and what this, this new work could be about, and like how he's at work and how, we, how we've seen him in this process and this journey to get to this point so that hopefully we can really focus on that we can really just kind of fine tune what is God doing how, how does he want us to be a part of it as a people uh, whether we go whether we stay what, how, do we, how, how are we supposed to be a part of that and so that's my prayer as a disclaimer as we get started and I'm asking you to pray that with me like to, to really pray and ask God to speak to us as we enter into this time of looking at the passage so let's go, let's go ahead and pray together now as we get started God thank you so much for the opportunities thank you for your work that that sometimes we've been able to see and sometimes we haven't really seen that clearly. Um, but we're confident that you're at work. And so, God, I, I'm thankful for Crosspoint Fellowship. And, and I want to thank you specifically for, the, for the, the body that you've assembled here, but for their leadership, for Ben and for Scott and for Brad. And their willingness to be obedient At one point, not knowing how you were going to fill in the details of that and just walking in that obedience, trusting you in that obedience. And God, I just pray that you continue to confirm everything that needs to be confirmed as we move forward in this direction, especially for those three men as they lead, as they serve. And you would bless them, their ministry, and their families. Just pour out a blessing on them. And God, today I just pray that you would get all the other stuff, the, the thoughts about what this is going to be like, and the details that we can reserve and talk about that tonight at the meeting. You just get that all out of the way so that we could hear from you, so we could focus in on your word and what you desire to teach us as we open it together. And God, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified, that you would be made much of through the preaching of your word today. And we thank you for that. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this story that you're probably familiar with in Exodus chapter three. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter three. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. And we won't look at the whole story. We just look at the very first part of the story as Moses has this encounter. And uh, what we're going to do is it's a narrative story in the Bible. So we'll look at like in this narrative, in this story, in this dialogue that Moses has with God in the burning bush, what can we learn from that? And, we'll, and that'll probably be in some cases really, really wide, like it'll hit just about everybody. And it's that wonderful thing that the only the Holy Spirit can do is he can apply this exactly where you and I need it, despite what I may or may not say. And so there'll be this wide view of this, like, what can we learn from Moses' experience and God's call on Moses? And then we're going to try to take it from the wide back down to the narrow and talk about some specific application for this new work and this n- new church plant and cast vision for that along the way. And so that's the hope, that's kind of the roadmap, the plan for where we're, uh, we're headed today. Exodus chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1, says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites, termites, all of them. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, "But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. That when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." So let's just try to look at these twelve verses and figure out what this guy could possibly mean for us. The story that happened with Moses, and let me kind of give you some background because there's a lot of background as the setting is kind of put into place here. Uh, that I, I think it's just important details as we jump into the middle of this story. Uh, if you see this, Moses is out on the, uh, out in the wilderness tending sheep. That He got there because even though he was raised in Egypt, raised in Pharaoh's house, if you, if you can go back and remember that story, uh, he, had to, he had to flee there because at one point he saw an Egyptian that was uh, mistreating an Israelite, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hid the body in the sand, and he thought he had covered that up pretty well, and then... Uh, The next day he saw two Israelites fighting and he tried to break up that fight and one of them was like oh you're going to kill one of us like you did that Egyptian and Moses realized he didn't hide the body very well and so he fled and he's basically spent years out here in the wilderness thinking that that part of his life was over and so it says there he's he's leading these sheep as he's he's being the shepherd and as, as he's leading the sheep he goes out by this place and it says it's it's called Horeb and the mountain of God which a Uh, This region, that could have been a specific mountain, but it also could have been a a region of mountains. And another name for that place or that region or or even that mountain is Sinai. So the fact that he calls it the mountain of God doesn't really mean that anything has happened there that would make people think that that's where God is, uh, but it's more like anticipation. Like There's some amazing things that are going to go down right here in this place, and that's why it's called the mountain of God there. Uh, the angel of the Lord, in case you're kind of confused by that, okay, there's an angel that speaks to him from the bush. It says the angel of the Lord, but then that angel says that he's God. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so uh, there's a lot of confusion around this, and man, there's unbelievable Google searches you can do on it, but the angel of the Lord basically is something like this. It's this God in human form before Jesus in the Old Testament. But this isn't an angel uh, and, and you see the angel of the Lord show up from time to time in the Old Testament. And it's really, it may be a pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh, it's just God taking on humans. You see him in the fiery furnace with Nebuchadnezzar, with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see him wrestling with Jacob. You, you see the angel of the Lord show up in special times and special occasions. And, and And the scholars, the people who are really a lot smarter than me, believe that this is a God in human form in some way before the incarnation of Jesus. And so that's why this angel of the Lord says... I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Uh, he pierced him in a burning bush, which obviously got Moses' attention. He saw the bush burning said, I, I think I need to go look at that, uh, which... I mean, it's just, it was curious, but that's not the only reason. It seems like from this point on, in the, in the story of the Exodus, God, his presence is represented by fire. You see him leading the people with a pillar of fire and a cloud, that God's presence, when they see the fire, it represents his presence. And this is kind of the beginning of that, that he appears to him in this burning bush. And then he says to him, as Moses comes near to see what in the world's going on there, he says to him, hey, take off your sandals, because you're standing on holy ground. Which, just as a reminder for all of us, like there was nothing special about the ground he was standing on in that moment. Not, not anything. He had been leading sheep out there. The sheep had been grazing at one point. Uh, it became holy ground because the presence of God was there in that moment. Which is a reminder that, uh, as you, you guys unpacked last fall, what is a church, and Ben talked about the church churches of people. It's not a place, it's not a location, it's not a building, it's a people that God assembles. Man, that is exactly what the church is. And when the people of God assemble in a place and God's presence dwells in that place, it becomes a holy encounter with God so that we don't necessarily need to, or I don't even recommend you take off your shoes, but we approach it with reverence. We, we wake up in the morning, we're expecting to meet with the holy God in His place with his people and so there's an expectation instead of flippancy about that and so instead of getting up and oh yeah we got to do that and just going through the motions but we, we we get to worship God together as his people today we get to sing songs that are true about him and true to him and we get to hear from his word and there should be this expectation in our hearts that man we're meeting with God as a people of God and a place that he designates as holy because of his presence. And that's kind of what Moses is experiencing in this point. There's some background as we jump into it. We're really going to look at the, the conversation here as God unveils his plan. God, God, He didn't just decide to talk to Moses because he wanted to see what was up. He has a specific plan and purpose for communicating with him. And you see that in verse 7. If you look back at verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said... I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. That one statement that God makes, that's such a great reminder for me and for us. I mean, the, the three words that God uses here are really, really significant and important. I have seen, I have heard, and I know. As God is talking about what's going on in Egypt. You know, the Israelites are uh, enslaved to the Egyptians. They're, uh, they're, they're being oppressed by the Egyptians, and they're crying out for help. They're, they're being mistreated in Egypt. And God shows up, and he's aware of the problem. He's fully aware of what's going on. He says, I have seen what's going on in Egypt with my people. I have heard their cries, and I know they're suffering. I Know what's going on. I've seen. It's a reminder that God's never distant. That that he's not removed from a situation. That he's not distracted in any way. We're so distracted all the time, God's never distracted. He's not caught uh, off guard. He's watching. He's completely invested in every situation. He is seeing everything that we're going through all the time. He sees. He hears. He listens and he responds when his people call out to him. It's just a a reminder for all of us that when you call out to God, He really does hear that. He really does listen. He really does respond to us when we call out to Him. He sees and He hears and He knows. He knows is not just a knowledge thing. I mean, we know He's omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. He knows everything. But it also kind of means He's in control. He knows what's going on. He's got that. Everything is under his feet. He's he's in command and control of every situation. And so as the Egyptians have been oppressing and enslaving the Israelites back there, God sees that. He's seen it. He's firsthand. He's, He's invested in that situation. He has heard their cries for help, and he knows exactly what's going on, and he's in control of it. His plan hasn't been derailed, he hasn't been distracted, he hasn't removed himself from it, he's just waiting for the right time to show up and respond and to execute his plan and his purpose. God sees, he hears, and he knows. And just, just so we'll kind of see the whole picture here, if you look right before chapter 3 starts, if you look back at the last few verses, Exodus chapter 2, this is when this really became clear, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He heard their cries. He saw what was going on. And he knows what's going on. He's in control of it. And it says, because their cries came up, it says God remembered his covenant, which is not like we remember, right? That's not the same kind of thing. It's not like God's like, oh, yeah, the Israelites, I forgot. what They're in Egypt? How in the world? What has gone wrong? No, God's not remembering all of a sudden that he had forgotten about these people. What he's doing is He's, he's the, the, the phrase he remembers means the time has come. The time has come for God to act. The time has come for God to fulfill his promise to his people. And for whatever reason, in Exodus chapter 2, it looks like that's triggered by they finally came to the point where they cried out for help and got heard. He sees, he hears, and he knows always. So you talk about the wide view of this. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Uh, It does not matter. Whatever you're going through right now, currently, what you're experiencing, whatever level of suffering or trial or testing or any kind of persecution you're experiencing, no, no matter what it is, God sees it. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's not distracted. He sees what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's in control of it. He's sovereign over it. He's not letting anything happen to you beyond what you're able. He knows. In fact, as I look at those three words, I, I see something that's pretty interesting to me. I see that there's no question that God sees. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, right? It doesn't, we don't necessarily think he's seeing what's going on here. God, did you, did you see that? Did you see how I was mistreated? We don't, but the truth is he always sees it. There's no question about that. Does God know what's going on? Absolutely no question that God knows. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's in control. No matter how out of control it feels, he's in control. But does he hear? There's a question about that for me. He sees what we're going through. He knows what we're going through, and he's in control of it. But has he heard from you about it? Does he hear your cries for help? Do we run to him first? And I'll be the first to admit, I don't. Something happens to me and I start immediately making a plan on my own of what I can do to get through this particular situation. Where can I come come up with some money? Or how can I network or get a relationship or do something over here? And I'm spinning all these different plates trying to figure out how I can solve the problem on my own instead of running to him first. We go through trials. We go through suffering. We go through... uh, negative experiences in our lives, and God sees it, no question. God knows it, absolutely no question. Does he hear us on it? Does he hear us come and confess our dependence? Because that's what we're doing when we pray. We're saying, God, I I don't have this. I don't got this. I, I I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to tackle this. I don't know how to conquer this. I can't do this without you. Does he hear you when you're in that time of suffering? Are you trying to do everything else on your own to figure it out but without him? No matter what you're going through. And it's, you know, it's one of those deals. If you're currently in that time of trial or time of testing in some way, God sees, he knows, is he hearing from you? If you're not in that time, then maybe that means you just came out of one. And in that, you can look back and go, yeah, that's exactly right. It's another confirmation. It's another strengthening in my faith to look back and go, God saw it the whole time. He knew it, and when I cried out to him, he responded that response sometimes is, he got me through it. He didn't take it away. He got me through it. He was with me all along. And if you're not just coming out of a time of suffering and you're not ex- currently experiencing a time of suffering, then the truth about our lives is that there's probably one right around the corner. And when you encounter that one in this time of relative peace, you cling to that truth that God sees it no matter what. He's already He already sees what's coming around the corner. And he knows and he's in control of it. Will he hear from me when it happens? Will I run in a different direction? And this can be true for anything. It can be true for your personal life and the personal struggles that you're in right now, but it can also be true for this big picture of what our country or our world or our nation's going through. We see all the craziness, right? And this has been a pretty bizarre week. I mean, all the stuff that's going on in Baltimore, all the strife, all the, all the racial tension, all that stuff, and we can start getting really, uh, this, this despair can begin to camp out on our doorstep. What is wrong with our country? What direction are we headed in? See, Supreme Court decisions and all these different kinds of things that are countercultural to Christianity, they're going in a different direction than what we would want for our country, and it gets easy to despair, it gets easy to fret, it gets easy to be anxious, and we run back to this truth. He sees. He knows and he's in control. But does he hear from us on it? I mean, we, we're really calling out to him because of the problems in our country. We're coming to him, God. God, we, we need you to intervene. Does he hear from us? I mean, does he really hear from you on it? Or does he have to read your Facebook to figure out what what you're concerned about? Let's just be honest, right? Because sometimes it's easier to just run and post something on Facebook and broadcast it. I'm really messed, our country's messed up and I want everybody to know it. Who agrees? And if you don't, I'm blocking you, right? (laughs) And It's just, is he hearing us pray or is he just having to watch us post? And that's what, that's what's, that's what's easier to do, right? I mean, we're, i tell you what, this, this country's messed up. I, I, got, I, I got one. When is Obama going to give me back my bluebell? <laughs> Hashtag impeaches and cream. <laughs> Some of you are going to use that, aren't you? I mean, it's crazy how much, and I'm not, guys, I'm not, trash in social media I and mean, that's probably what social media is for to express your opinion or view. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just asking you this. Is God hearing from you about your concerns? Is God hearing from us as citizens of this country? That we have concerns and we're coming to God because he's the only one that can help us. He's the only one that can deliver us. We know he sees it. We, we, we know that we are confident that he knows what's going on is in control of it and I hope he's hearing from us this desperate cry like the Israelites God we need you big picture for our country and that small 3,000 foot view of your personal life and your family I need you. I can't do this without you. God, please do what only you can do. He sees, he hears, and he knows. So when you start talking about this church plan, I'm I'm, I'm trying not to talk a whole lot about what's going to be covered tonight in the meeting at five. But there's this whole process where this started with your elders as they began to get this burden for a church plan, they began to see people that were driving quite a distance to come to this church, and it's harder to connect in the community that you live in when you're driving a long distance. And they started seeing that, and they brought us in the conversation. You already heard I said, Leave me alone. And then I, God brought me back into the conversation. And then we start looking at demographics and we start looking at need and we start looking at this area that's kind of central to where people are driving from and all these different things are at play. All these kind of strategic decisions and prayerful decisions are being made about where this is going to be and where the need is for another church, why there's a need for it. All that stuff's being discussed and you'll hear a lot about that but there's this guiding truth over all of that that he sees, he hears, he knows. That we can just completely continue to walk in obedience because he sees the need for another church, he saw it before we ever thought about it. He hears cries of lostness and hopelessness and purposelessness from unchurched people, maybe even before they move into that community. And he knows exactly where this needs to be and what it needs to look like and how it's going to be used by him to reach people. He sees, he hears, he knows. And we can trust him with that no matter where it ends up, no matter who ends up being with it. We can trust that he's in control of that. And so that's what he announces to Moses here. He says, hey, I know the problem. I'm well aware of the problem. I care about the problem more than you will ever care about it. When you try to solve it then, that wasn't my plan. I'm about to unveil my plan that's what he's coming to Moses for here's a problem and I'm going to do something about it look at verse 8 and I God says I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of all the ites and now behold the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them and God says it's time I remember my covenant. It's time for me to execute that covenant. I'm going to act. I'm going to, here's the problem, and I'm going to do something about it. And that's, we're just walking that, that God sees, he hears, he knows, and at the right time, he's prepared the right, right opportunity, the right everything for him to execute his plan. He's come down, he says to Moses. I've come down to do something about this. I'm going to accomplish exactly what I've purposed to accomplish now in this place. And then he says something that shakes Moses up a little bit. And he says, and by the way, Moses, I'm going to use you to do that. (laughs) Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That Moses wasn't ready for that part of the plan. He might have been amening, he might have been feeling really good about it up until that point. Oh, God sees the problem, I don't have to worry about it anymore. God has come down to do something about it. He's going to wipe out the Egyptians, he's going to lead the people out, land flowing, milk and honey, this sounds good. Hey, Moses, here's the deal, here's the plan. You go to Pharaoh and talk to him. God's going to use Moses to accomplish his purpose. Why? Because that's what God does. God has a plan and he has a purpose and it will not be thwarted. There will be nothing that stands in the way of his purpose and his plan for the world. But God always, always, always uses his people to accomplish his purpose. He uses people like Moses and people like Abraham and people like David and people like Esther. and pe- All these different people in the Old Testament, he, he, he had a plan and he had a purpose and he used people in the right situation, the right circumstance to accomplish what only he could accomplish. God has a plan and he uses people to do that. In the Old Testament, you see it with these individuals, these heroes of our faith that we like to call them. In the New Testament, here's what you see. God accomplishes his purpose through the church. Uh, That's the only way it happens in the New Testament. He accomplishes his purpose through his people, the body of Christ, the church. God's plan and purpose is to bring hope to the world. The message of Jesus Christ, hope to a lost world. His plan and his purpose is to bring restoration to a broken world. How's he going to do that? Through his church. Always, only through his church. God could do that without us. He could deliver Israel without Moses, but he chooses to write Moses into the story, and he chooses to write you and I into the story, no matter how, un, how disqualified we may feel for that. We we don't feel ready. We don't feel like we can do it. He uses his people to accomplish his purpose, and and he's used this church, and he's preparing this church to plant another church because God has a purpose he wants to accomplish, and he's going to use his church to accomplish that, to do that. That's why we're excited. That's why we can't wait to see what he's going to do. And so he comes to Moses, and he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and then you'll lead the people out. And you see Moses' response. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? His response, just, let's just take this part of the response, because if you read all the way through chapter 4, you realize Moses really was having a problem with us. But let's just take this part that we can see and know right here today. Because on the surface, there's... There's a good, healthy side to his response when he says, wait a second, I like your plan, but who am I to be involved in it anyway? There's a healthy understanding by Moses that he doesn't have the goods necessary to be involved in something this huge, this important. It's a healthy place for all of us to be, to understand that we don't have anything in and of ourselves that's going to be profitable for God's plan. Moses says, who am I? Which, by the way, just as a reminder, he's rejecting the truth that he grew up in Pharaoh's house that he was probably trained alongside the other royal children, that he's, he's had a lot of training, he's had a lot of experience. There may even be some people that remember him when he shows up. He's rejecting all that. I don't think I have anything to my credit. Who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and he would listen to me? Who am I that I would go to the Israelites and they would actually follow me? He's got a healthy sense on the surface of the overwhelming task that God's called him to. And guys, it's, it's a healthy place for all of us to live there. This understanding that we don't have what it takes without him to do anything significant. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you, if you saw what happened here today, which was unbelievable, all these dads who were leading their children to faith and then getting to be a part of the baptism of their children, that's a huge thing. And and as a dad, if you're thinking, I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't know if I have what it takes to do that. That's a healthy place to start, to understand that you don't. Because that wasn't a celebration of the dads as much as it was a celebration of what God did through those dads today, which is a beautiful thing. As a shepherd of your family, dads, to, to, to understand, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I understand enough. I don't know if they'll listen to me if I start a family devotion time. That's a healthy place to be in in a lot of ways, but on a side note, because they're not going to listen to you. They don't. Our family devotions ends up with somebody in a timeout. Most of the time it's me. I'm going to take five. I'll be back. serving and leading in this church or being called to be a part of this church plant it's a good place to start I, who am i and, and i want mean, to i want to confess that's where i want to stay in some sense i want to stay in this understanding of who am i no matter what brad might get up and say some really good things about me and if you ever want to do that again that'd be fine um <laughs> but the truth is i don't have what this takes I've watched you guys for the last twelve years from a distance, and I've thought it was like a healthy, safe distance until just recently. And <laughs> I saw what Ben has gone through, and I've talked to Ben about that. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, think, I don't have what it takes for that. Yeah, I don't. Man, if this church plan is 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 in any way dependent upon my abilities or my gifts or or, or my talents, let's stop now, please. Because it is not about us. It never will be about us. So there's, there's a healthy side to Moses' question. But there's a reminder in the question that it's, it's where God wants us to start, and He wants us to move from there to understanding that it's not about us, but it's all about Him. That as we look at how God works and 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 how he uses his people that we begin to understand that God uses us despite us or in spite of us. We don't have to have a lot of things to our credit. He's going to use us because he's going to accomplish his purpose and he just chooses to let us play a part of that. And and you don't have to go too far in your Bibles to see that on every page. The people that God uses are unlikely people that God uses to accomplish his purposes. From Abraham, uh, uh, unlikely. Uh, He's he's lying in different situations. He's completely falling away. He's not not young enough to have kids anymore. And that's who God's going to bring his promise to. To David, who's just a shepherd boy. He's the youngest in his clan. He's insignificant in his family. That's who God wants to be, the next king. From Esther, who won a beauty pageant, to Ruth, who's completely outside, cut off from the people of Israel. God uses unlikely people throughout the pages of his story to accomplish his purposes. Maybe nowhere more clear than Jonah. Jonah, his resume, now that we know his full resume, he's a prophet who's disobedient, unrepentant, reluctant, and ethnocentric. That's who God used to spare a whole city, cause a revival of hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh, a prophet who's unrepentant, disobedient, reluctant at best, and ethnocentric. God uses unlikely people. His disciples, when they received the Holy Spirit and God transformed them, they became bold preachers of the good news. They're confronting the religious leaders, the same guys that crucified Jesus. They're confronting him in Acts chapter 4, and, and they have, Peter has this bold statement about who Jesus is, and there's salvation found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And the religious leaders are listening to these guys, and they know enough about their background that they kind of came to this conclusion, Acts chapter 4, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's all they had to their credit. They had been with Jesus. Other than that, they were uneducated and common. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were rednecks and renegades. That's who they were. God uses those people to accomplish his purposes in spite of whatever they have to offer which is usually not good. Paul, I mean, we can start by talking about Paul being a persecutor of Christians, locking them up, approving of their death, and God rescues him and redeems him and changes his course. Now he is a Christ follower and a proclaimer of the gospel message, but let's go a little step further. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says in Philippians 3. A Jew of all Jews. He's a Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, All the lineage, everything, he is as Jewish as you can possibly become or be. God sends him to the Gentiles, the people that the Jews didn't associate with, that they wouldn't even have supper with, that they wouldn't even look at. They considered the Gentiles as dogs, not even like real people. God sends the Jew, the Hebrew of Hebrews, to the Gentiles. Why? Because God likes to use unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. That's why we have a chance. That's why we're here, because God uses unlikely people, despite what they have, what baggage they have, in spite of all the negative stuff in your past. Maybe Moses is looking at God and going, who am I that I go to Pharaoh? I tried this one time, and it was an epic fail. I killed a guy, hit him in the sand. It didn't work out. Maybe Moses is Remembering his other failure, and that's the, he thinks that's disqualified him, and God says, No, 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 don't. I, I'm bigger than all that. I use the unlikely, I use you despite, in spite of your failures in the past. I mean, as, as a parent, you come to him and be, hopefully, with a sense of being completely overwhelmed with the responsibility of training and raising my kids. If you're not, as a parent, overwhelmed with that responsibility, then you then you probably don't have kids. I mean, it's an overwhelming responsibility. And you can look back at all the failures. Maybe you've messed this thing up in the past, maybe you've really, really blown it. Even yesterday. Here's what God says. No, no, no. I I use unlikely people in spite of everything they have against them. This is who I use. I, I've, I've got a long, long history, thousands of years, Scott, of doing this. And so Moses has an understanding of his inadequacy to do this. Who am I? And so he asks that question, and God gives him an answer. But it's not an answer to the question because what you see is Moses may be starting in a good place, but he. It's really not the most important question. It's a good one, and it's a healthy one for us to say, who am I? I don't think I have this. But it's not the first question we should be asking. So God answers him according to what he should have been asking. Here's what he says, verse 12. God says, but I will be with you. That's the only answer we need. The but there, but I will be with you, it's almost like God saying, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have what it takes. I'm well aware of that. I know you messed that up last time. Yeah, but I'm going to be with you. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the creator God. I'm in control of everything. I see, I hear, I know. I'm with you. So the first and most important question is not who am I, but God, who are you? Will you be with me? If you will be with me, God, then it doesn't matter who I am because I know that I got everything I need in you. Which, you know, the Old Testament is this shadow of what's to come, like it's this pointing towards Jesus and and what he's going to accomplish. Every story, every page is always looking forward to the day when Jesus is going to come make things right. And you see that. You see just a glimpse, just a shadow of that in here. That gospel truth that we're worse off than we want to admit, but at the same time we're we're more loved in Christ and accepted because of his death and resurrection than we could imagine. That's what you see here. I don't have what it takes. I can't rescue myself. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I can't do it. And God in Christ redeems us and rescues us when we couldn't do that on our own. He will be with us. He is with us. The gospel reminds us that we can't, not only that he could or he can, but that he did. He accomplished it. It's done. It's finished. So you see a shadow in the Old Testament. God says, yeah, you can't, but I will. And then Jesus, you see, you couldn't, but I did. So just a shadow here. I will be with you no matter what. No matter what trouble you're facing, a small 3,000 foot right here in my family, I've got this struggle, I've got this trial. No matter what that is that you're facing right now, he says, I will be with you you going to do something crazy and big and be a part of a church plant? Well, yeah, we don't have what it takes. Oh, but God will be with us. God's going to do this. Not me. Not us. Him. It's enough. I'm going to give you some other reminders about that truth because it's all throughout the scripture and uh, you, if you're like sword drill and you want to look these up, you go right ahead. I don't like saying don't look it up because as soon as somebody tells me don't look it up, I'm looking it up, right? So you, if you want to look it up, look it up. If you don't, if you just want to jot it down, here's some verses that you can look up later as you're, you're walking back through this. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. He's a present help, a very present help in trouble. Hebrews 13, 5. Can we we go back to Hebrews yet? Is it too soon? (laughs) Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what, he's with us. The shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then when Jesus started planting churches, which is what he does, he sends his disciples out in the world to 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 plant churches, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. I will be with you. This is not up to you. It's not up to us. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. God will be with you. He is with us. And so no matter what you're considering right now, no matter what next step it is, start to shepherd your family, start to disciple your kids, all the different things that could be at play here for you personally in your walk with Christ and your growth, or this big picture of, should I be a part of this church plant or not? It comes back to this truth. God is in this and he's with you. No matter what it is. That's the truth that has to, we, we got to like stake it out and, and grab a hold of it and hold tightly. He is with us. But here's a question. How do you know? <laughs> do you feel that? Like, okay, that, that's great. He said that to a lot of really awesome people in here and I'm not that. So how do I know he's with me? I think it's the same way that, that Moses knew. If you look at verse 12 again, this is what he says but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you here's the sign I'm going to give you a sign a clear sign that I'm doing this that I'm sending you to Pharaoh if you want to know how you can know that I'm with you here it is pay attention when you brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain does anybody catch the irony of this? I can't imagine that was comforting at the time to Moses at all So I'm going to know that you're really doing this when it works? (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Exactly. How will you know God's doing this? How will you know God's leading you? How will you know God's with you? Here's the way you know. When it works, you know. Why? Because we couldn't do that. That's the only way we can know for sure. Anything that works, anything that's good, anything that actually comes about... It's because God was with us and he was doing it. If it doesn't work, all the signs say that he wasn't in that. But when it does, we know. So Moses, you want to know how I'm sending you? How you can know for sure? You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to confront him. He's going to finally let the people go. And you're going to lead them all out here right back to this mountain. And you're going to serve me and worship me here. And then you'll know that I was with you. That I was calling you to that. So how will you know when you have a moment like that? I, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can shepherd my kids. Yeah, you're right. But God will be with you. And then you'll be up here on your knees baptizing one of your children because of the grace of God at work in your life. Because he was with you. And then you'll know. He, he did that. How will you know that God wants us to plant this church. How will you know that he's, He wants you to be a part of it? <laughs> we'll know when He accomplishes what only He can do. I mean, let's just talk about it. how do you know that God wanted you to do this 12 years ago? That He really was talking to the Ridgecrest people about doing this and He was really leading Ben Scott to be a part of it. How do you know that that happened? Because of that? because of the lives that have been changed forever because of the ministry of this church. That's that's only God that can do that. Because of marriages in this room right now that have been rescued and saved and restored because of the ministry of this church, that's how you know God did that. That's how you know he was here, that he was doing it all along. Families come to faith they were unchurched and lost. There's family sitting in here that, that describes you perfectly. You had no clue about what that was, and now you're an active, faithful, true member of this body. That's how you know God was in it 12 years ago. And that's how we'll know. When, I mean, that's what I can't wait for. When we have these kinds of moments and these kinds of stories and this new work, and we look back, maybe it's 12 years from now, and we see... Dads baptizing their children. We see marriages rescued and restored. We see unchurched people come to faith in Christ and begin to serve in His body. That's how we'll know that God was in this. So I want to be a part of that. i had to wrestle with that for a while, but I came to that understanding. i I, I got to be a part of that. And it means that we're going to step out in faith in that. But that journey begins for some of us tonight, to really step out in faith. The, the book Visioneering by Andy Stanley was significant as we started IGO 15 years ago. I mean, is a great example of that because we did not know <laughs> if that was going to work. And two years into it, I was still really doubting. And Brad and I were talking about him coming and joining the team. And I was trying to talk him out of it. I was like, please, please, Christy will never forgive me if I mess your life up this way. Because we didn't know. Fifteen years later, we look back and we see 4,000 students have been trained and mobilized. We see all these different things that God and only God could do, and that's how we know, looking back, that he was in that. That he's in that. He's with us. And Igo's a a great example of that, and that book, Visioneering by Andy Stanley, was a, a huge part of that process for me and here's a quote that he's he shared in that book it says if God has birthed a vision in your heart the day will come when you will be called upon to make a sacrifice to achieve it and you will have to make the sacrifice with no guarantee of success that was really really terrifying 15 years ago but so worth it now and it's somewhat terrifying right now That God's calling us to make a sacrifice to step out because we believe he's doing this. We believe he's called us to this and we'll know when it works. No guarantee now. But when it works, we'll look back and go, look at what he did. And it means some of you are going to make the sacrifice of leaving this body to become a part of this other body. And that's a huge sacrifice. And some of you are going to make the sacrifice of staying behind and being faithful here while some of your friends and some of your really close relationships are going to go. And we don't have any guarantee of success other than this promise. God sees, he hears, and he knows he's in control, and he says he's with us. And because he says he's with us, we believe he's going to do what only he can do. And I'm humbled and overwhelmed and definitely realize I don't, I don't have it but I'm so excited to see what only he can do let's pray God I want to thank you for the truth from your word that is so sharp that it penetrates exactly where it needs to in our hearts to do the work that it is required. And God, I trust that you, through the work of the Holy Spirit, are going to continue to work through this word preached to accomplish your purposes in our lives for your kingdom. And so, God, help us to follow you no matter what. Help us to trust you no matter what. And thank you for the promise that you're with us at all times, never removed, never distracted, always in tune, always listening. And it's in the name of Jesus, the powerful rescuer and savior, that we pray these things and ask them. Amen.